The Yankees and Red Sox will renew their rivalry this weekend. Max Scherzer's return and the White Sox couldn't capitalize against the Twins at home. Headlines, what's going on in baseball? Rafael Nadal survives a five-set match, but will he play in the semifinal versus Nick Kyrgios? Baker Mayfield is finally on the move. Will he be a factor in Carolina? The NHL draft is tonight, and history was made in the front office in San Jose. Gearing up for another midweek sports podcast party. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits as we're past the fireworks and celebration and already a week into July. Can we slow down here just a little bit? Jeez. But if there's one thing that's always fast is my delivery when it comes to covering the sports stratosphere, and I'm content that you're here to digest it all, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to get to here as we labor through the month of July, the sports dead zone, as I pretty much beaten to a pulp over the last couple of weeks. But we got some things for you, and on the docket, we have Rafael Nadal, who is looking to get his third straight calendar Grand Slam victory. We already know he's won the first two, but now we have a big, giant question mark heading into the semifinal tomorrow against Nick Kyrgios, an abdomen issue, which looks like it could derail the 22-time Grand Slam champion. We'll talk about that later on, as well as what's happening with Baker Mayfield as he's on the move, finally. It took them forever. I get it. They probably wanted to keep him on ice with the whole Deshaun Watson scenario hanging over the organization's head, but we'll see where Baker Mayfield is heading and will he be successful in his new destination? The NHL draft is tonight. I'll get into whatever it is that I know with the latest edition of who's going to be the top overall pick and is there a generational player there to be had. Also, history made in the NHL as far as the front office is concerned, so you know I'll share a couple of moments and my two cents on that. But baseball is going to be 
the topic, as I mentioned, pretty much from now, I would say until Labor Day. And that's not to say if anything does pop up, surprisingly, in the world of sports, whether a blockbuster trade in any of the other sports or if something breaking that happens that you know will take precedent. But we know that since baseball is pretty much the only sport that's operating on a day-to-day basis, and here, as we're at the halfway point, I know on Monday we talked about a couple of teams in particular that have gotten to that 81-game threshold, but now, for the most part, we have teams that have either crossed the halfway point or are a game below that. So we can finally exhale and see where we're at here when it comes to Major League Baseball and the entire landscape. And for starters, as we head into the weekend, the Yankees, who pounded out the Pirate pitching, even though they got a split in the two-game set in Pittsburgh, but yesterday flexed their muscle 16 nothing. You had late Grand Slams by Aaron Judge and Aaron Hicks as they head up to Fenway for the first time this year. To think, they played more than half their schedule and they have not had a contest in Fenway Park. And here we are, July the 7th. So although they renew their rivalry and considering that they played in the first three games of the year dating back to early April, although this is a series that people will follow People know the history, obviously, and whenever you get Yankees-Red Sox, you're going to be destined for a a three-and-a-half-hour to four-hour contest, and that's just nine innings. We're not even talking about extra innings. And we could see that being the case throughout the course of this weekend, but sadly, there's not going to be a lot of drama, even though there may be some, whether it's a close game, tight game, or maybe tempers may flare over the course of the weekend because... This is the first time they met since early April, and a lot has happened since then. But I would think with the 14-game lead that the Yankees have, it's not as if the Bombers are going to be sweating a little bit or having to wonder about their lead slipping. Even if they gave away these four games, they would still have a double-digit lead in the American League East. So when it comes to that, you can't really look at this series as a barometer or as a litmus test for a Yankee team. Yes, we saw that a couple weeks ago when the Yankees were playing the Astros, where I felt it was more important for the Astros considering the start that the Yankees have had this year, where it was more important for them. Here, 100%, this is all about the Red Sox. Because the Yankees could lose all four games. It could be a Boston Massacre reverse when you think back to 1978 and what the Yankees did up in Boston during that season. So the Red Sox could literally win each game by the same score what the Yankees did last night in Pittsburgh, 16-0, but nobody's going to bat an eye. Nobody's going to raise an eyebrow as to, oh, geez, are the Yankees are in trouble. They could pretty much crawl home to the finish line and probably still win a division by at least five games. So, yes, although this is a series that we're going to look at, yes, this could be exciting, could be a lot of fun. We know the two teams that are involved. We've seen it over the years. In many iterations, when you go back to, obviously, the 20th century, what the Yankees did, pounding the Red Sox into submission. And then here in this century, dating back to 2003 and that ALCS and how epic and classic that was. And then the following year, we know what happened. The only team to blow a 3-0 series lead in playoff history was the Yankees to the Red Sox. And of course, the Yankees were able to have that baggage in their organization. Not to say they never had that prior to. But when we look at the entire history, the 27 world titles, the 40 pennants, etc., 
this was the one moment that the Yankees, you could look at if you're a Yankee hater to say, ah, but nobody in the sport has ever done this. And with the Red Sox winning that series down 0-3, finally getting the piano off their backs, winning a World Series for the first time in 86 years, and since then, winning three World Series to the Yankees won, we know that the cast of characters will always change, and the stakes will always be high, not as high as it was in 03-04. And as we've seen here, just in the last five years, between the Aaron Boone-Alex Cora eras, Cora has the advantage winning twice in 2018, and then, of course, the wild card last year, also with the World Series in that 2018 season. So, yes, we could break down all the permutations, all the different angles when it comes to the series, and I get it. When it's all said and done, is anybody going to really care, even if the Red Sox would have won three out of four, or if the Yankees would have won three out of four, if they split, no harm, no foul, no big deal. And obviously, if it goes the other way where the Yankees sweep, then they can really put their feet up in the division. Or even if the Red Sox sweep, is it going to be big news where in Yankee land, everybody's going to be wondering, "Uh uh-oh, is the sky starting to fall here? Absolutely not. But it is going to be a fun weekend for baseball. We would hope that the games are competitive. We would also hope that as we get through this summer, that at least we have something to wrap our arms around when it comes to baseball. Because as I mentioned on Monday, pretty much you have eight teams in each league where six are going to be battling for four playoff spots. If you take away Yankees, Astros, and the American League, and then even Dodgers, Mets, to a lesser degree in the National League. Because as we've seen, these are important games for the Red Sox because between them, Tampa, who won two out of three in Fenway over the last couple of days, including an 8-4 and 7-1 victories the last two nights, so the Red Sox stumble into the series hurting a little bit. But between the Rays, Red Sox, and Jays, they're all separated by half a game. So you know those teams are going to be jockeying for position throughout the rest of the summer, and that could be the one race that everybody's going to look at to see, will all three of those teams in the AL East make it into the postseason? Will one of them get knocked out? Who's going to prevail? Who's going to be on the outside looking in? That's one storyline that at least we could look at if you're into the AL East, and especially here, living in New York, where the AL East is front and center. So, Yankees-Red Sox, we'll see how that goes. And as we turn our attention to some other things, I know the big story, speaking of here in New York, the Mets having Max Scherzer back, and that was a welcoming sight on the mound on Tuesday night there at the Great American Ballpark to where Scherzer was dealing at six innings, two hits, no walks, and 11 strikeouts. So he did not skip a beat, looked fine in his performance, Unfortunately, the Met offense couldn't get going, and they ended up losing 1-0 in the ninth inning. Thankfully, they were able to win two out of three last night. It looked pretty bleak throughout the course of the evening. David Peterson did not pitch well. And then you had Adonis Medina come in to save the day with three strong innings in relief. And then you had to have some heroics there late with Starling Marte. Even Dom Smith in the 10th inning, capped off by the three-run homer by Brandon Nimmo, which sent the Mets into the night with a series victory over the Reds, which would have not looked good considering the Reds gave the Mets all they could handle the last couple of nights. And with the Braves beating up the Cardinals down in Atlanta the last three days, and they'll conclude their series today, where the Braves are running hot and nipping at the Mets' heels, as we've talked about here over the last couple of weeks, which will now be the penultimate series leading into Monday And their showdown at Truist Park, the first time the Mets will visit Atlanta this year. 
So, a lot to be said, a lot that's going to unfold here over the next few days. The Braves then play Washington this weekend. So, with the Mets hosting Miami, and they'll have to face Sandy Alcantara on Sunday, who right now is the front runner for the National League Cy Young, although he'll go up against Max Scherzer. There is a part of me that wishes that Scherzer could be saved for the Braves series, but as it is, this weekend, once we get past that, and I think it's going to be a little bit more challenging for the Mets because Miami... Although they played a lot better, two games on the 500, and they always seem to be a thorn in the Mets side at times, and watch this be the weekend where they'll get a split, and the Braves will win three out of four, which will really lead into the series come Monday as one where the Braves could actually overtake the Mets if things break right. We will discuss that there on Monday, but that's something that we'll certainly pay attention to starting today, where the Mets will host Miami for four, and then, like I mentioned, the Braves will close out their series before playing the Nationals this weekend, which I believe is in Washington, so I'll take a quick look at that. So the NL East is going to be fast and furious pretty much from right this point, you would think, throughout the rest of the summer. And with the scenario and how the Braves have bounced back, and actually Washington will head to Atlanta, so a long homestand for the Braves as they'll host the Nationals and then, of course, the Mets early next week. It is going to be, needless to say, very interesting to see how this division shakes down between the Mets and Braves, and it'll all kick off on Monday, but these games are just as important. And with the Nationals, I'm sure they're going to stumble into Atlanta this weekend to where, minimum, Atlanta will probably win two games, and you would think that they'll polish off the Cardinals this week or today I should say, in Atlanta. So who knows? We could see a scenario where come Monday, Met fans, dare I even say, that Atlanta could be either a game or maybe even a half game behind the Mets as they kick off their series Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Mets-Braves in Hotlanta. And then the other story earlier this week was the White Sox playing the Minnesota Twins to where the White Sox were able to get a sweep in San Francisco. And you thought with maybe that momentum coming into a series where they're playing at home, knowing that the Twins are at the top of the AL Central, and for the White Sox who have had a bad season playing their games at home, 16-21 and 21 heading into the series, and this is only the second series that they faced the Twins so far in 2022. And what do they do? They had to salvage a game where they were down 8-6 in the 8th inning yesterday. They had a two-run homer from Andrew Vaughn in the bottom of the 8th inning, and then they were able to win it in extras, I believe. So where they were able to salvage that game, they did get Eloy Jimenez back in the lineup, who, if you recall, tore his hamstring early on in the season. And in fact, I believe that was actually in Minnesota in late April. So now you get Jimenez back, but for whatever the reason... The White Sox have not been able to get their season on track. And you would have thought that based on what we saw there on the road in San Francisco, and not to say that all of a sudden they were going to go on and win 10 straight, but knowing that they came off of a great weekend out in the Bay Area and that they had the Twins at home in their building and all they were able to do was have some late-inning heroics to avoid being swept That does not bode well if you're a White Sox fan or even a member of the White Sox. And this 
is on the heels of what happened there Monday with that triple play. It was an 8-5 triple play. Think about that. To where the center fielder got involved. And then, of course, the third baseman to complete that triple play, which was just an absolute Keystone Cops folly. And who knows if the White Sox are going to be a team that is going to either wake up at some point or this is going to be a lost season altogether. And granted that they still have half a season to go in order for them to get themselves back, not only in this division race, because pretty much the division is all they're going to have here. And yes, they may have a wild card, which we'll take a look at once the All-Star game comes and goes in about 10, 11 days from now. But the White Sox is a team that I had as an over. And I'll get through my over-under numbers now that we're past the halfway point. You would think this team with all the talent that they have, including the manager, Tony La Russa, I'm not going to say that the game has passed them by. I'm not going to say that a guy who, as we all know, is a Hall of Fame manager that can't seem to either rally the troops or get his team to the point where they could play consistent and crisp baseball. And for whatever the reason, I can't put a finger on it. It's not as if I'm following the White Sox day after day, but I have been paying attention to what's going on. And I don't know. I'm going to be one to believe that this team may have a stretch or two in them at some point. And not to say that the division is strong by any stretch, considering that it is the Twins and the Guardians. But currently at five and a half games back, I understand it's only three in the loss. But you have to wonder whether or not the White Sox are going to be a team that yours truly included thought that they would actually make a push not only to be a division winner, but also have a long postseason considering that they've been in the playoffs the last couple of years and granted that they were in and out for the most part, losing to the A's, I believe, off the top of my head in that first round last year. I believe it was Oakland. It wasn't Houston because Houston played Minnesota. I believe it was the A's that they lost to, and then last year losing to Houston in the division series, I thought maybe they would take that leap to at least make it to an ALCS and maybe even a World Series. But based on their inconsistency all year, and I understand they're getting a big bat back in Jimenez, but they have not seemed to be clicking on all cylinders at some point, and I get it, that it could change in a heartbeat. Because the Twins aren't world beaters, the Guardians, same for them, and before you know it, A month from now, we'll see the White Sox be five games ahead of both of these teams. And then I'll look like a fool, not necessarily putting the White Sox out to pasture, but thinking that they're not going to have a big streak or a big month in them in order for them to be that team in the AL Central that I thought, and I'm sure a lot of people thought in baseball, would actually be a big factor here come October. A couple other things from the baseball landscape. I talked about the Cardinals and how they have not been able to get a game down in Atlanta to this point, and let's see if they could save some face and win a game so they could go ahead and move on to bigger and better things. They have to count their lucky stars because the Cubs were able to win a couple of games in Milwaukee, and if it wasn't for that, they would be in a big hole. Eh, maybe not a big hole, it's a stretch, but they would be in a deeper hole in the NL Central as they're currently three games behind the Brewers. So the Brewers, as we've seen here over the course of the last eh, 8 to 10 weeks, they haven't been playing well. There was a stretch where they lost 8 straight. And the Brewers, we all know it's going to be about their pitching. They need a bat in the worst way 
as the trade deadline is still a few weeks off. But the Cardinals certainly have to right the ship soon. Granted, three games, not insurmountable, and I'm sure they have plenty of games left with the Brewers down the road. But they can't fall any further, at least for my liking, if I'm a Cardinal fan, to know that if they're going to be part of this mix, and you would think that they will be, but when it comes to the pennant race, but my point being that the Cardinals have certainly hit the skids, have not played well, and they certainly don't want to fall further behind in a division where it's absolutely winnable. But again, you don't want to go five back. Next thing you know, you're six back, seven back, etc. Which will lead to my next thing and what's happening with the Padres at the moment because they have started their little free fall to the point where when you wake up this morning and you look at the standings, which was once a slim lead in the division going back about three weeks ago to the point where, okay, they were a game or two back. Now when you wake up, they are seven in the loss and six back in the NL West. And now you'll have to wonder whether or not the Padres, of course, they're going to be in the wild card mix. That goes without saying. But after that weekend where they were able to get that final game in LA on Sunday, and you thought maybe there'd be some momentum there. What do they do? They lose the next two games where the Dodgers are flying high. And now they put some separation between themselves, the Dodgers that is, and the Padres. And now you have a seven-game cushion as of today. And that's not to say that the Dodgers are probably going to run and hide at this moment. But they put themselves in very good position to be that team to start the process of running and hiding in the NL West and the Padres they're expecting to have Fernando Tatis Jr. back hopefully sometime after the All-Star break you would think maybe early August because I think this coming week he's going to start swinging a bat and then at that point we'll wait and see how the shoulder is if you're a Padre fan you're hoping that he's in the lineup at some point by the end of the month because they're going to need him in the worst way down the stretch. And that's not to say the Padres are starting to falter, although we did see that quite a bit last year, a team that got off to a hot start and then fizzled big time. I believe that, what are they, 79-83 and last year, just an underwhelming and underachieving season. And without Tatis for all of 2022, and even with Machado, who was out for a little bit, but an MVP candidate in the National League, you would think the Padres in a little bit of some trouble here, so they... Definitely have to get themselves back in the win column because they don't want to fall even that much more further with the All-Star break coming up in another 10 days or so. Next thing you know, like I said with the Cardinals, the Padres could be looking at a deficit where they're 8, 9, 10 games back and you could pretty much forget about the division and a point of no return as far as trying to make it as a division winner in the National League. So for those who are new to the podcast... In all the sports except hockey, although I will do that this year with the point totals. Because that's one thing I've never really done when it comes to over-under numbers. It's usually with the win totals. And in hockey, you can't do that, obviously, because of the ties and the overtime losses, etc. So you got to go by points. But before the start of the year, I picked six teams, over-unders, meaning win totals, that are put out there by the Vegas odds makers. And the six teams that I had for this year, as far as my overs go, were Atlanta, 90.5, St. Louis, 85.5, and the White Sox. Yes, the White Sox, the team that just killed, 
91 and a half. And then my unders were Tampa, 89 and a half. Oakland, 70 and a half because of all the trades that they made. And then the Phillies, which I wanted to roll the dice a little bit. You got to be daring. You just can't pick all the good teams to go over and all the bad teams to go under. So I figured, what the hell? Let me throw in the Phillies because of their bullpen, even though their lineup was strong. And with Zach Wheeler and also Aranola, two good pitchers at the very top. But I figured that they were going to take a step back this year. And as it is right now, when we look at the standings, the Phillies are currently at a pace where they would be at 86 and 76. The bottom line is, is that all of my choices, except for the Oakland Athletics, is going to come down to the very end. The A's currently at 28 and 56 in a number 70 and a half. They're going to clear that by a mile. But the Phillies, like I said, 43 wins. And even with their loss yesterday to the Nats, that was their halfway point, 43 and 38. They're now 43 and 39. So you figure 85 and a half, they'll reach 86 if everything goes the way it has been during the first half of this season. Atlanta, 90 and a half, they're at 49. So that should be a win there. Not a lock just yet. I would think that's going to be the case, but it's probably going to come down to the wire. And again, with a lot of games against the Mets, if the Mets are successful against them, that's going to play a factor. As to whether or not the Braves will be an over, the White Sox 91.5, that is not looking good. And you could pretty much chalk that up as a loss because unless they have a killer stretch where they're going to go 30-5, and there's no way they're going to hit that number. So we could pretty much throw that in the garbage. Tampa, who is currently at 45-37, and they are going to be over that number or pretty much close to it. And what is that? I said 89 and a half. So they're on pace to eclipse that by the hairs on their chinny chin chin. So that's one we're going to have to look out for. And then the Cardinals with the way they played recently and their number at the moment, similar to the Phillies at 85 and a half at 44 and 40. They're on a pace to eclipse that. But With the Cardinals, remember last year I picked them as an over as well. And I believe that number was 88.5. And And if you recall, they had a 17-game winning streak, I think, from the end of August into September. So that helped me out big time. And not to say that they're going to need that in order for them to surpass that number. But a lot of these are going to be close. Oakland is a lock. I would think even the White Sox are a lock right now. And the other four teams are pretty much a toss-up. Maybe you could say Atlanta is the one team that could be a shoe-in. Other than that, it's going to come down to probably those, not only final few weeks, but maybe even the final few games of the regular season in order for me to clear those numbers. And at the end of the day, it's just a little fun exercise here just to kind of see where we're at throughout the course of the season. On Labor Day, we'll revisit these numbers and see where we're at then as we get into the last month of the season, but... I bring this up only because for those who listened to the podcast back then, and maybe even if you put a few shekels down when it comes to betting over under numbers, because as I like to say, if you have done so and you lose, don't come looking for me because if you did put down a wager on those teams that I suggested back in April, if you do happen to win, I know you're not going to say, hey, Jay Reels, how could I sell or Venmo you some of this money that I won based on your prediction? So... That's where we're at with the baseball people as we move it along here. 
Now, I'm going to take off the cleats and put on the tennis shoes because Wimbledon has an interesting and developing story as we are currently at the backstages of this tournament to where on the women's side, there really isn't much to discuss. Samola Halep is a woman that I haven't really discussed when it comes to some of the top women's tennis players in the world. We know what happened with Iga Swantek there last week. And even though the magic carpet ride that was Harmony Tan, it came to a screeching halt as she lost her fourth round match. And as we look at the women's side, it's pretty much going to be Simona Halep and everybody else. A lot of the other women, not too familiar with. So you don't have another star that's going to go up against the likes of Simona Halep. So you would think that she should be in the clear and is the odds-on heavy favorite to win Wimbledon. Obviously, anything could happen. We'll keep an eye on that. I know when we reconvene on Monday, I'll certainly break it down and see how that side of the bracket plays out. But as far as the men's go, and here's where the story comes in, where Rafael Nadal had a very, I'll say grueling, for him, and we know a lot of his matches are that very intense, high energy. We know the type of player that Rafael Nadal is. But knowing that he had to really go all out in a five-setter against Taylor Fritz, and in the process, looked like he has an abdomen issue to where you could see he was laboring throughout the course of the match. At one point, his father in the stands even tried to get his attention to wave the white flag and just say, go off into the night knowing that you held your head up high and fought to the very end. But we know Nadal's style is to literally do that. And we've seen him retire from other tournaments due to issues, whether it's with his foot, leg, knees, etc. But the heart of a champion certainly showed on center court there yesterday. And to no fault of Taylor Fritz, understood he was up two sets to one and looked like he could have put away Nadal there, but... When you have the heart of a champion, and when you have the fight, the will, the grit, the toughness, the determination of a guy who's won 22 Grand Slams and is looking to get a 23rd on his mantle to separate himself even further from the guy that he possibly could face come Sunday in a one Novak Djokovic, you know that you would have to literally carry this man off the court in order for him to not play. And what we saw there was just typical Rafael Nadal. There isn't anything else you could say about this guy as far as what he gives to the sport, the amount of blood, sweat, tears. He leaves everything out on the court. And now the question looms on whether or not his status for the semifinal going up against Nick Kyrgios, who, as we talked about on Monday, the bad boy of tennis, the attitude, the swag, all that to where Kyrgios finally makes his first ever Grand Slam semifinal. You have to wonder whether or not Nadal being compromised by this injury, is he going to be able to gut out another long, you would think, grueling match? Possibly another five-setter for him to get to that final, where chances are he's going to face Novak Djokovic because, no offense, Djokovic is going up against a guy that I'm sure a lot of people never heard of, and even though he's ranked ninth in the world, but Cam Norrie isn't going to move the needle as far as a guy maybe upsetting Djokovic and his quest to win Wimbledon and to inch that much closer to Nadal as far as all-time Grand Slam victories. 
So now we have to wait and see between rest, the recovery, how his body's going to respond tomorrow in this semifinal match. And more importantly, even if he gets through that, whether it's in three easy sets or, dare I say, a five-hour marathon, despite everything that I just mentioned about Nadal, is he going to have enough gas in the tank to do it one more time to beat Novak Djokovic? And for him to get that third straight Grand Slam title in this calendar year to then make his turn for immortality similar to what Novak Djokovic did last year in winning the first three legs of the Grand Slam in a calendar year as Djokovic did last year. Could Nadal do that this time around? I'm going to say this right now. Based on his abdomen and we know about his serve and volley and how that's just going to play into effect not only in the swing but also in breathing. I don't think Nadal makes it out of this alive. Will he beat Kyrgios? Kyrgios now on this big stage. Will he be able to take advantage of this injury that Nadal's going to have here? We're going to see what kind of player Kyrgios is if he doesn't shrink in the spotlight. But I don't think Nadal is going to be able to get past Djokovic if he does happen to even have a cakewalk of a match against Kyrgios because that's going to be a five-setter to say the least if he's going to win. There's no way that Nadal's going to go into that final match if he does happen to climb this hurdle. Not only is that going to take every ounce of blood, heart, guts, etc. But to me, it's either going to be an annihilation by Novak or it is going to be one of the more epic performances that we've ever seen Rafi Nadal pull off considering this injury that he has with the abdomen. And one last thing, I'm sure for the Nadal fan, he's probably looking at Djokovic, and I understand you can't really look past this Kyrgios match because the injury is serious, and it affects so many different moving parts when it comes to the serve and volleys and breathing, etc. And I get it, that knee injuries and foot injuries, they're just as critical, without question. But I'm sure the... Nadal fan and even the Djokovic hater is going to look back at the match that Djokovic had against the kid Yannick Sinner. And I know I was mispronouncing his name Skinner the other day, so my apologies. But Yannick Sinner where he had a two-love set advantage and Novak pretty much from that point on just blew his doors off. So knowing that Djokovic was on the precipice of being ousted of Wimbledon, I'm sure a lot of tennis fans... Novak haters and, of course, the bigger Nadal fans are going to look at that and say if Nadal does not win, that uh, Sinner had an opportunity to get Djokovic out of here. So just a little food for thought as we move along. NFL people, before I get to the NHL, and I know the draft is tonight and a big hire in the sport, but as far as Baker Mayfield goes, the trade came down yesterday as he was shipped to Carolina for a conditional fifth-round pick in 2024. I might add, and based on playing time, that could be a fourth-round pick. All I got to say is, finally, what were the Browns waiting for? And understood that they were using Mayfield as an insurance policy. Granted that the communication between the player and organization 
after Deshaun Watson was brought in, I'm sure it was slim to none. And then it came to a point where they had to start up engaging in conversations with him, knowing that Mayfield posted last week at one of his football camps that he's moved on and it's best that both parties move on. And sure enough, they had a willing trade partner and the Carolina Panthers. And it's ironic because the opening game for both the Browns and the Panthers happens to be a head-to-head matchup in Carolina between his former team, the Browns, and obviously Carolina. Will he start week one? That is unknown at the moment because you would think Donald's going to have the inside track to be the starting quarterback considering that he's been part of that system for a year under the coach, Matt Rule. Think about this. You have the number one overall pick and the number three overall pick of the 2018 draft battling for starting supremacy in the NFL. So that should be hotly contested to say the least come training camp. But you would think Donald has the inside track and unless he just totally fumbles it away or throws pick after pick during the preseason. But it's Donald's job to lose. And then Mayfield, who I know is going to be chomping at the bit to try to win that job to show and prove to the Cleveland Browns that they made a huge mistake by bringing in Watson for reasons other than what's going on with his legal mess. But for Mayfield, he gets his piece. How that's going to play out, I have no clue. Will he make an impact there? I can't say. Carolina has a lot of work to do as far as being a team that's going to be relevant in an NFC that other than the Buccaneers, Packers, and Rams, it's a toss-up. Maybe you want to say the Cowboys to a certain extent. If you're a believer in the Niners, and who knows what's going to happen there with Jimmy Garoppolo, as there's been rumors about Garoppolo maybe traded to Cleveland as a stopgap with the uncertainty of Watson and how long he's going to be out this year, which you would think will be a year, and we're still waiting word on that, which who knows why the NFL is taking their sweet time. I'm sure they're still trying to turn over every stone, open and close every door, and make sure that their investigation is as tip-top and as succinct as you could possibly have. Uh, It's just ongoing and interminable, but... As far as Mayfield and what he's going to do in Carolina, I have no clue. I'm sure once the opportunity arises, he's going to pretty much play for a contract moving forward onto the next team. But it's crazy to think that before the regular season began last year, coming off of the heels of an 11-5 season, winning a playoff game in Pittsburgh, their hated rival, and then that close to upsetting the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round to where they started their season in Kansas City and actually played well for a half that the Browns looked like they were going to be a force and a team to be reckoned with, the Cleveland Browns. And since then, granted he had that shoulder injury, which I know was debilitating for him for most of last year, but talk about a shift and a change of trajectory when it comes to a player and to a certain extent an organization and how it's gone the other way. And you have to wonder what Baker Mayfield's rest of his career is going to look like, whether that means he overtakes the starting job at some point 
in Carolina and becomes a solid to above-average quarterback? Or is he going to be a guy that's going to bounce around for the rest of his career and not be the guy that a lot of people thought could be a franchise quarterback for a team in the National Football League, whether it be for a decade plus, eight years, whatever it may be, and right now it's looking like that is not going to be the case. So that's what you have with the NFL. Other than that, nothing really to report. Training camp, as I mentioned the other day, is less than two weeks away if you're the Las Vegas Raiders and about two and a half weeks for the rest of the league. So we still have some time between now and then. As for the NHL, the draft is tonight and free agency begins a week from yesterday. So come Monday, I'll talk a little bit about the free agents and what to look out for in this offseason for the free agents to be. As far as the draft tonight, there isn't really much I could get into. Is there a generational player that's going to come out of this draft? Based on what I've heard and read, absolutely not. You do have a couple of big players that are going to be looked at, whether your name is Logan Cooley, Shane Wright is another kid that is from the Ontario Hockey League in Kingston who could be your number one pick tonight, and that goes to the Montreal Canadiens. The New Jersey Devils have the second pick overall, and you wonder whether or not they're going to pick a guy like Logan Cooley, who is a center, who could go along with Jack Hughes if you want to have some depth down the middle. So that would be an interesting one-two combination there. And when we look at some of these mock drafts, and understand you can't bank on any of this stuff, this isn't gospel. And even though I mentioned that, would the Devils go with a guy like Logan Cooley, even though Jack Hughes is going to be your guy at center. But based on what I see here, there's a kid from Finland that maybe the Devils have their eye on, this Jurog Slavkovsky. He's a winger. You would think he could possibly complement a guy like Jack Hughes to form a top line there for a Devil team that, as we've seen here over the last couple of years, have been pretty much at the basement or the bottom of the NHL landscape. So by bringing in some offensive firepower, you would think, other than a center, that will complement their former number one overall pick from a few years back. And then when we look at the defenseman, Simon Nemec is a guy from Slovakia that looks to be at the top of the list from a lot of people based on what we look at here, where Seattle could pick them at number four. And other than that, there isn't really a lot that I could expound upon when it comes to the NHL draft. This isn't the NFL draft. It certainly isn't the NBA draft. MLB, you could pick these guys out of a hat unless you get that one pitcher that dominates the College World Series or is that guy like a Steven Strasburg or even a Bryce Harper going a decade plus ago where you heard about these guys or read about these guys where they're can't-miss prospects. With the NHL, there isn't that guy out there like a Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, etc. That's not to say that Shane Wright or Logan Cooley or Cutter Gauthier or some of these other players aren't going to be an all-star for 8 to 10 years down the road. But there isn't that one guy or a couple of guys you could say, look out for these two as far as making an imprint in the league right out of the gate where they're going to be an impact on whichever team that's going to draft them here come 8 o'clock tonight 
where I believe the draft is also in Montreal. So to think that town is going to be a buzz tonight, knowing that I get Toronto and the people there are going to say we're the hockey town when it comes to Canada, but we all know the Canadians and their history and knowing that they have the number one pick, which is going to be in their building with fans that I'm sure they're going to be attending. So I would think that the hockey world will certainly be a buzz as well as Montreal to see who their selection is going to be to change the fortunes of their franchise. And remember, this team made it to a Stanley Cup final just a year ago. But as it is, we'll take a look to see what's going to transpire tonight. And then obviously with the free agency period that will kick off on Wednesday, we'll take a look to see who are going to be the top free agents out there in the NHL this coming summer. But the other news in the league that was enormous and historic to say the least is the San Jose Sharks hire Mike Greer. He was a longtime player in the NHL, 15 years, mostly with the Edmonton Oilers as well as the Buffalo Sabres. Did have a couple of stints there with San Jose and a cup of coffee with Washington. But with he being hired as GM of the Sharks, he is the first black GM in the league, which obviously we have not seen in the NHL. And as we all know, although in recent vintage, we've seen a lot of whether African-American players or players of color make the leap. And we've seen when we think about it, just in this century alone, quite a bit compared to the last century where you could pretty much count on one hand who was playing on what team, whether your name was Tony McKegney, whether your name was, for the tough guy out there, Val James, Peter Worrell, George Larocque, and Larocque was pretty much, and Worrell too, was the 21st century. But you didn't have a lot of players that were of color playing in the National Hockey League. And now that you have quite a few and one that's going to lead a franchise and make a lot of the decisions when it comes to player personnel, coaching, etc. So congratulations on that hire for the San Jose Sharks and bringing in Mike Greer and his experience not only being a player in the league but now as an executive. Great move by them and let's see how he does as a member of the San Jose Sharks. Other than that, people, that's what I have. So, yes, no NBA. Not going to go down the road of what Rudy Gobert said, trying to bring a championship to Minnesota, or even Zion saying that he wants to prove to be a winner. Well, first, he has to get on the court, as we all know, and let's see if he could do that this coming season, but that's obviously for way down the road. But other than that, I will bid adieu by saying thank you, as I normally do at the end of the podcast, for not only latching onto this wagon to get your source of sports through yours truly, from my perspective, goes without saying how I do not take your participation for granted, stopping by, spending a few minutes, or even spending the entire podcast with me. Again, it goes a long way in putting out these episodes week after week, twice a week, since the start of April, so I thank you so much again for entrusting me to be that source for your information on sports, and if you haven't done so, just like I said at the top, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts, throw me a few stars, write a review, just so we can increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. I'm 
not going anywhere. I plan to be here for the long haul. So wherever you get your podcast, as long as you give me those stars and the review, it's going to go a long way. And I thank you for doing that. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so at the following. TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels, one just a number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please send whatever it is that you like, suggestions, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, which I plan to put up a post there in the next 24 hours. So stay tuned for that. It's www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy. Once I get that platform built up to speed and have a little bit of a following, I'll put some exclusive content, maybe even some video content up there, which that's what I want to do. A little Q&A, some stuff that I want to talk about, whether it's about the podcast, whether it's about what's going on in the world of sports. I want to do that for my subscribers. So once I get a little traction there, I'll be sure to put up some posts along the way And again, whatever you want to put forth, I would humbly and gratefully appreciate that because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about people. Sports has been in my blood since birth, in the DNA, as I like to say, whether it's praise, criticism, opinions, hot takes, analysis, whatever it may be on anything and everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, Boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all boys beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>